When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Amour, winner of the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, is now available on demand. And Casey Affleck, Rooney Mara, and Ben Foster star in Ain't Them Bodies Saints, available on demand the same day as theaters. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The Art House is now in your house. This episode of Film Spotting SVU is also brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code SVU8. From New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And on this episode of SVU, nothing can stop us now except microscopic germs. But we won't let that happen, will we, Singer? Uh, no, ma'am. Excellent. Then we should have no problem reviewing Brandon Cronenberg's Antiviral. Later, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some titles to rent or stream at home, all centered around a common theme and inspired by Antiviral. That was going to be movies about cannibalism. But, Allison, you got very defensive when I suggested this topic. You said there was a lot of disinformation out there in the media, in the movies, about human flesh eating. You said that actually cannibals are very misunderstood. You know, it's the long pig. People don't appreciate it quite the way they should. (laughs) So instead, we're going to talk about body horror movies. Body horror movies. But first up is opening break. A segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand. Allison, what are our picks this week? First up is a film called I Declare War, which is available on demand on August 30th. It's directed by, I think they're both Canadian filmmakers, Jason LaPierre and Robert Wilson. And this is a film that's been kind of a hit on the genre festival circuit. I think it was at Fantastic Fest. Did you see it there, Matt? I missed it, but I heard uh, this is one I'm really looking forward to catching up with because I heard nothing but great things about it. I think it won an award there. I'm going to check right now as you're talking and, yeah, and find but, out. You know, it's done really well playing at certain genre festivals, and uh, now it's finally come to theaters from Draft House Films and on VOD. It's about two groups of 13 year old kids who, after school, they play a game of war. It's Capture the Flag, basically. There are rules involving homemade weapons and what those do when they, you know, quote unquote, kill you versus grenades, which are water balloons filled with red liquid. And it's about a particular iteration of this game that kind of escalates beyond the normal play. But the whole hook of the movie is that the the kind of war games being played here are realized with actual weapons as in the heads of the characters so right. you'll so have these see kids. their imaginations yeah like with- they're playing they're holding like a toy gun and then it becomes like a real gun right. or this escalates into you know actual grenades and like rocket launchers and uh all kinds of you know, so like part of just the the film is about seeing little kids like you know with, with the kind of transgressive quality right. of that that divide. But it's also a film about 
childhood dynamics, and it, it kind of suggests that maybe war, war, actual war, is just a large-scale playing out of a mm. lot of these, like, avenging of power structures and all of that that you have when nice. you're a kid yeah like so that. so this was uh really well received uh it's and it's a it, lot of fun i i i'm a fan it's, you did see it i did see it you liked yeah it. i liked it and yeah, it, it won the audience award at fantastic fest last year which is not an easy prize to claim it is absolutely not yeah. and you know it's it's just it's also like a kind of it's a fun movie lovers movie in that it plays on a lot of war cliches war movie mm-hmm. cliches and it incorporates them this is war man Hopscotch. Do you want to win? We gotta have casualties. Synchronized watches. We attack at 1700 hours. My watch doesn't go up to 1700. You're a girl. Sorry. I can help though. Sure. You can be the arts and crafts squadron. Hey! Yes! We're going to march right in their base, shoot everyone else, grab the flag. Ah! Grab them. So uh, it's, it's definitely worth a look if you've heard about it from, you know, a lot of these scenes. It's, it's worth checking out. I, I really liked it. It was fun. A little Lord of the Flies, but, you know, for the genre set. <laughs> so that's I Declare War. It is available on demand on August 30th. And two more picks for you. First up is At Any Price, which is available on demand on August 27th. This is a new film from Ramin Barani, who is another festival darling for his like neorealist films uh, like Man Pushcart, Chop, Chop Shop, Goodbye Solo. And this is his kind of expansion into a film that is also not about an immigrant, which all of those stories have been kind of small stories about immigrants in America, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one stars Dennis Quaid as an Iowa farmer and seller of seeds who wants to pass his business down to his sons, one of his sons. One of them has gone off to South America and the other one, who's played by Zac Efron, uh, wants to be a NASCAR driver. And so it's a bit about their family and then also about issues of morality and about uh, genetically modified seeds as well. So it's, a, you know, a lot going on there. A rich tapestry. <laughs> That's at any price. It's available on August 27th. And available on August 29th is Bad Milo, which is directed by Jacob Vaughn. This is a horror comedy, which has a pretty great log line basically it's at a guy who learns he's been having stomach troubles learns are being caused by a demon in his intestine right which is a very common cause of stomach troubles these yeah. days um but it stars a lot of your your favorite favorite comic actors out there including ken marino jillian jacobson community patrick warburton kumail nanjiani so it's kind of the collection of like the alt uh, from the alt comedy scene that seems so active these days and you know it's got that alt comedy and butt demons. Exactly. What more do you need? <laughs> they people? go together perfectly. Yeah. So that's Bad Milo, and it is available on August 29th. Allison, we're very pleased to have Shutterstock.com back as a sponsor of SVU this month. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, advertisement, video, or any other type of project. You can choose from over 1 million high-quality stock video clips, 2D or 3D animation, or motion graphics. They have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. Shutterstock sources video clips from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. 
They've got professional contributors. They review each video individually for content and quality, and they add over 10,000 video clips each week. So every time you visit, you'll find something new. Shutterstock provides the video content that you need to bring your creative projects to the next level, and they make it easy with sophisticated search tools that allow you to drill down by category, resolution, contributor, and more, and shareable clip boxes that allow you to save video assets, then access them anytime and share them with other team members. They also have a huge library of photos, vectors, icons, and infographic templates for all your creative needs. Shutterstock has flexible pricing, so you can choose between individual clips or video packs, and download clips in HD or standard definition or web formats. And Shutterstock is a complete global offering with offices located in more than a dozen countries, making it a true global marketplace for buyers and creative contributors. They also have multilingual customer service with dedicated corporate reps and full-time customer support throughout the week. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. You just start an account, start using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save your video selections to your clip box. Once you decide to purchase, use offer code SVU8, and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com, and for 30% off new accounts, use offer code SVU8. We thank Shutterstock for their support of Film Spotting SVU. That even Pete ought to be able to sell the hell out of a classy campaign like that. So let's get into it. Body horror. Allison, I have I, I want to know what body horror is. I want you to give me the definition. But also, you know, I've known you for a long time. I don't know you to be a person who's afraid of many things. You know, you're very afraid of a weekend where TNT doesn't show biker boys <laughs> and you're afraid of body horror movies. So I want to know, like, what how do we define body horror? And also, why are you someone who's not easily scared by a lot of movies find these movies particularly disturbing? Okay. Well, first off, let's turn to Wikipedia, the reliable source for all information. Which is never wrong. Never wrong. And their definition of body horror. They say that it is horror fiction in which the horror is principally derived from the graphic destruction or degeneration of the body. Such works may deal with disease, decay, parasitism, mutilation, or mutation. Other types of body horror include unnatural movements or the anatomically incorrect placement of limbs to create monsters out of human body parts. Mm. So why does this get to me more? Yeah. I think just because, as the definition says, it's meant to evoke this very visceral reaction of biology gone wrong of mm-hmm. like your awareness of your body and then warping how you know that's supposed to work right? right right so whether that comes from yeah like someone changing into a mutant or or just like dealing with how the flesh can be cha- kind of warped and used as in ways that are not natural i think it just gets to you on a very visceral level uh, and you know i think that a lot of times especially in terms of David Cronenberg's movies, he's kind of the king of this genre. Right. It just seems to evoke like very subconscious fears about things, you know, whether it's disease or, uh, you know, 
I, I've mentioned the scene before in the fly, the dream, the maggot dream mm. that uh, you know the character's love interest has of of being pregnant and then giving birth to something that's not human. Like that just evokes a lot of fears about like pregnancy and things gone wrong. You know, I think that it's a really interesting way to play on things that maybe you never have been able to kind of um, put into words as like rational fears, you know, and then kind of to bring those out into imagery that's really hard to shake. It's it's biology horror. Yes. It's even like things about our natural, like not even unnatural. It's like natural things twisted in unnatural extremes. Right. And I get it too, because I was thinking about this as I was watching a couple of these movies. It's like, if you just put a creature in front of me and it's just a weird looking creature, yeah, it can be kind of scary. It certainly can be if it's made well, if the special effects technicians are talented, and if it's well shot and all that. But then if you put, like, a human face on it, it adds this extra dimension of disturbingness because it's like then it becomes something more relatable. You know, it beca- you know an alien, it's like, well, it's, it's an alien. It's external. It's external, right. You put a – like, if you put, like, the same creature and just give it a weird, gloppy, but very clearly human face – Suddenly, it, yeah, it becomes a more internal thing. It becomes scarier because it seems somehow closer to our reality, that somehow it could happen to me. To me, Allison! Well, that's it. I think that a lot of these play on the person becoming the monster, right? That you mm. can... that hum, Like, the question of humanity, right? And also, mm. like, how that relates to flesh, like, the, the kind of flesh that you're housed in. Like, it, those are played on a lot, right? Mm. A lot of the great films in this genre deal with that idea of also, you know, The Fly, which is not a film that's available on demand, unfortunately, is one that really has has to do with, like, how someone's basic humanity inside, like, a mutating body is affected. And, mm-hmm. like, when that point is lost, when you're not human anymore. Right. And, you know, that's a really disturbing idea. Yeah. So a movie I think we mentioned at the top of the show, which I never would have thought of, based on your description, I think it might count. Amour almost sounds to me a little like body horror. Because you said, you know, you mentioned, like, disease, you know, and, and, and the way that the body is breaking down. And I guess it's natural to a certain extent in that movie, but it's also kind of horrifying, you know, and it's, it's very biological. And uh, you're sort of trapped watching this person lose their – who they are as their body decays. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, I was looking at some lists people had put together because this is such a kind of vague, hard-to-define – genre subgenre mm-hmm. films and someone had included black swan which is never something i'd mm. really thought of as as body horror it's definitely psychological but it's true that like beyond just the idea of as a ballerina you're kind of forcing your body to do things that are not you know like that require like sacrifices and like kind of like using it as a tool mm-hmm. but then like the ways in which her her breakdown manifest are definitely about like the warping of the flesh. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think so. All right. What about like uh, werewolf movies? Are those is that body horror because yeah. you're like transforming your body into another thing, right? Yeah. Well, I was thinking like that and vampire movies, right? Vampires, as well. exorcism movies for sure because yeah. they always have people contorting and right. spinning heads and right, right, right. Yeah, I think you know you can definitely have elements of uh, there are definitely elements of body horror in those and you know one thing. Hemlock Grove, as much as I think it's not a very good series on Netflix, the original series, um, which is executive produced by Eli Roth, it does have 
one scene that is worth looking for, and they've actually cut it out so you can find it by itself. They used it as a promotion. But it has a werewolf transformation scene mm-hmm. that is not like one I've ever seen before, where it basically involves the wolf splitting like through the the flesh of the character like the head like thrusts through his mouth and it splits his face and like like his skin falls off basically it's like yeah like like peeling an orange or something well it's like if you like you're the hulk and you expand i am the hulk okay continue and burst through your clothes and it's like his human form are his clothes ew and then and then but he keeps his pants, right? Because if he's like the Hulk... Well, he turns into a wolf, right? The, Hulk, the wolf so doesn't have pants? It splits through the skin <laughs> and it comes off. All and right. then, because it's a wolf, he eats the leftover <laughs> flesh. <laughs> and I have to say, it is, it is absolutely memorable and it is not something I've seen before. So it, you know, uh, in the kind of realm of transformation scenes, it was impressive. And I would say definitely falls more into body horror than I would say most werewolf movies. Well, that sounds absolutely <laughs> disgusting. And thank you for bringing that no into my life. No problem. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get to our, our picks here. And as we've been doing, we started on our last episode. We're doing now two recommendations, each one from streaming and one that's available on digital rental. That's how we're doing these these days. So, Allison, you want to go first? You have your first pick? Sure. My first pick is my streaming pick. And it's one that I feel is really important to mention in when talking about body horror, which is The Thing, Uh, John Carpenter's 1982 film written by Bill Lancaster. It's available on Netflix, and it's also streaming on Infinity Stream Picks, if you have that. And I'd say, you know, along with the Alien franchise, these are kind of like, you know, the great pillars of like mainstream body horror type films. Like they're, they're like big and they fit into larger categories of like multiplex horror, right? But they're also, they have these elements, I think, think have made them so enduring. And and the thing was not well received uh, when it originally hit theaters. If you look at a lot of the original reviews, they're very dismissive and they're like, hmm. this is disgusting. It's hard to believe now. It's considered it's such considered a classic. It's considered a classic, yeah. yeah. But it was, you know, people were like, this is just, it's shock for shock's sake and all of that. But the thing, of course, is, uh, is a story of a group of men who are out in... The wilderness uh, of Antarctica, and then they uh, they come across another team which is chasing down a dog across the Arctic, and the dog turns out to not be a dog when they take it in, and things start to go very wrong. And uh, you know, one of the great great aspects of this movie is that it has like two fundamentally very good ideas. Like one, which is a, is a kind of common one in in horror films and genre films. Uh, the idea that someone you know is not has been kind of like hollowed out and replaced by an imposter mm. who is malicious, right? Something that with the invasion of the body snatchers has done. Vampire movies essentially do. Like the idea that the person's not human anymore. You look like you, but you're not you're you. You're not you. So the paranoia is obviously a major part of the story. But then I, I think what makes this movie so disturbing is the idea that the person's not just not you, but is like a really... It's a truly alien monster, you know, which is some of the most memorable imagery of this movie. The one where someone's chest becomes a giant mouth, yeah. you know, which is like... And then it eats someone's it eats hands. Someone's, and then, or, or the scene in which someone's head pulls off from their body, sprouts like legs, spider. spider legs, and like, you know, eyes, and, and like scuttles off. Just things that are so, like, uh, just so foreign to like how a body is supposed to work, a human body right. is supposed to work, because the thing is not just 
able to take the form of other people. It's it's kind of like uh, all of its cells can operate right by themselves, right. which is why the dead bodies are dangerous. Like why even just pieces that are removed can become dangerous. We're gonna draw a little bit of everybody's blood. We're gonna find out who's the thing. Watching Norris in there gave me the idea that maybe every part of him was a whole. Every little piece was an individual animal with a built-in desire to protect its own life. You see, when a man bleeds, it's just tissue. The blood from one of you things won't obey when it's attacked. It'll try and survive. Crawl away from a hot needle, say. So those those images are so disturbing because it's using people as like building blocks. It assimilates them, but they're just tools, right? Like not just tools, but like material. So it's not even that, like, it's taking over you, even though the thing seems able to absorb identity to a certain extent. Like, that's just something it uses to hide. You are just material, like organic material that it borrows. And, you know, I think it's particularly helped by the fact that there's no, there's apparently no inherent form for the thing. It doesn't, we never see what the thing originally looks like. It is just this infection. And, you know... I, I, people have read it as a lot of different kind of metaphors, particularly one for AIDS, given that one of the ways, right, people, they, there's blood tests involved. And at the time, AIDS was this like kind of terrifying, growing thing that people didn't really understand. But I think it fits, it, it kind of, the fear that it evokes is something that goes maybe a little deeper than that, which is just the very wrongness of of seeing someone used or, or seeing like flesh just kind of being made into something so other. Uh, and it's a great movie and a really, really disturbing one. And I think it's, that's part of the reason that people have been able to come back to it and it's become so influential and, you know, that so that they can make lousy prequels of it. It's on Netflix and infinity. And if you have not managed to see it yet, or you haven't seen it for a while, Definitely worth a look again. That's the thing. Okay. My first pick would make a good double feature with that one, uh, particularly in the creature effects and how goopy and gloppy and slithery and inhuman they are. And it's From Beyond, the 1986 film. It's streaming now on Hulu. This is directed by Stuart Gordon, and it stars Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, and uh, Ken Foray. And Gordon, Combs, and Crampton had all made Reanimator, which is uh, their more famous kind of collaboration. And this was sort of their follow-up film. And in this one, Combs is like an assistant to a mad scientist who's created this device called a resonator, which it stimulates the pineal gland. (laughs) And when the uh, pineal gland is stimulated, Allison, people go crazy. And uh, Crampton um, is is like a psychiatrist. Who is in? She wants to figure out why schizophrenics are the way they are, and she thinks that it may have something to do with this gland. And so, when she hears about uh, this this resonator and how Jeffrey Combs's character apparently killed uh, the the mad scientist, 
but he claims that this creature came out of the resonator and 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 you know ripped the guy's head off. She's intrigued, and so she convinces him uh, against his will to recreate the experiment to turn the resonator back on and see what happens. And they turn it back on, and of course he's proven correct. But uh, as he does that, it like basically like opens the door into this other dimension um, where all these crazy creatures live, including some kind of like spirit or otherworldly version of the mad scientist who was killed who now is like this insanely disturbing glop of flesh and who knows what like he starts off looking basically like himself but like very slimy but then he uh he gets jeffrey combs to like touch him to convince him like if you don't think i'm real just touch me and he touches him and it's this in- in amazing effect where he like touches him like sort of on his like neck and his fingers, like, sink into his neck and leave an indentation. And then he starts, like, ripping his face off. It's just awful. This is one of the most revolting movies I've ever seen, and I mean that as a compliment. I mean, every time they turn on this Fakakta resonator and the creatures from this other dimension come out, you just start looking through your fingers. I mean, the the mad scientist, the, this creature that he becomes, which, you know, sort of like what I was describing before, is basically like a head with just, like, amorphous flesh and arms and limbs, and he's like almost like a slug or a snake or whatever, is just so disgusting, so unbelievably disturbing. And there, and then it's sometimes, like, kind of like how you were describing that werewolf effect from Hemlock Grove, where the head will split open, and then a bug head will appear out of it, and then the <laughs> bug head will eat someone. And then at the end of the movie, I mean, this is not really a spoiler, but, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, there's this big side of <laughs> climax that involves, like, multiple creatures, like, almost, like, eating each other and appearing from out of each other. And, like, it's really horrifying. <laughs> it is really disgusting, you know. <laughs> it's just the body, but my mind is indivisible. Bodies change. and and seeing that glimpse of humanity in all that glop is really what makes it so much worse oh yeah it's just so so horrifying you know a creature is gross but that it used to be a person that it used to be a person and that it's still almost like like it it claims humanity like that it's still and also that it's somehow this is somehow like better like he's constantly asserting that he's like you know transformed into something better that you know stimulating the pineal gland you know (laughs) makes you somehow better and this idea that there's this like dark side lurking in all of these people because what happens is even as they don't physically transform like mentally they start to transform and and then like pineal glands start shooting out of the front of people's (laughs) skeleton it's okay i think i've described enough I, I'd never seen this movie before. I'd seen uh, Reanimator a bunch of times, but I had never seen this one. But uh, use this as an opportunity to check it out. It is fabulously, terrifyingly disgusting, and I definitely recommend it. It is called From Beyond. It's available now on Hulu. Yeah, that's underappreciated. And, oh, God. And so messed up. It's so disturbing. <laughs> um, so my second pick, I wanted I to pick something um, that's kind of like a little different. So I went with Freaks the 1932 Mm. film from Todd Browning. There's some debate about whether or not Freaks is in the public domain. It's available on Amazon, iTunes, Voodoo, and YouTube for rent, but it's also available for free on archive.org. So I I think that 
the fact that it's not more widely available go with your own implicates go with your own <laughs> suggests god that that's not maybe we're not going to tell yeah. you what to do or not do exactly but you know I, I think what's interesting about this film maybe as a signal of the divide between that idea of the external monster you know is that uh, when when this was commissioned from Todd Browning MGM wanted something that would be an answer to like the success of the universal films like Dracula and Frankenstein and Frankenstein I think could be considered a body horror film as definitely, well definitely uh, but that you know, he made Todd Browning made a film that is both, you know, one of the most empathetic treatments of these sideshow performers who are in various ways have, you know, disabilities or uh, suffer, you know, deformations. But uh, that it's also like it was, you know, considered much more disturbing than any of the traditional monster movies I, for many reasons. And I think what you mentioned of seeing like, the, the fact that it's people, you know, uh, is is something that it makes it frightening on a different level. Yeah, Browning, you know, kind of famously used actual sideshow performers in this, and treats them in a way like they are not the monsters. Like the monsters in this are the the kind of you know quote unquote normal people, the trapeze right. artist, the beautiful trapeze artist, and the strong man who kind of conspire to take the inheritance of uh, one of the, the little people, the midgets in the sideshow. Which is kind of like Frankenstein, too, or mad scientist movies. You know, the creatures are always, you know, the victims. The monster right. is always the scientist. Right, exactly. And then they're the person who uh, kind of engineers uh, the plot. And in right. this case, you know, I think maybe the plot is certainly interesting and leads up to a climax that is justifiably famous. But I... I think one of the things that the film has become justly lauded for over the years are its kind of side moments in which it just depicts life amongst the, you know, the freaks as, as the film calls them and, and the normalcy of it from things like the human torso and how he lights a cigarette to the um, kind of the romances of the conjoined twins. And so uh, it's the idea of this as body horror, I would say comes down to something, really interesting, which is that the film manages to treat all of the sideshow performers in this very humane way. And yet at the end, you know, I, I don't want to like go into too much detail for spoiling it. If you have not seen this, but it's so, it's like so famous at this point, that like one of us, one of us kind of, that it also treats the idea of becoming one of the freaks as this like, you know, terrible, monstrous punishment. And it is like, there's this really, you know, nightmarish shot of what happens of how like one of the villains is punished. We'll make her one of us. A loving cup, a loving cup. We accept a one of us. We accept a one of us. Gooba gobble, gooba gobble. We accept her, we accept her. Gooba gobble, gooba gobble. One of us, one of us. Gooba gobble. They're going to make you one of the mighty cups. One of us. Gooba gobble. Gooba gobble. And so it's it's such a weird reversal in that the humanity, the kind of like normalcy of all of these, this community is given such a light. And yet it's also this like terrible punishment. And also the way that it's because the ideas of what the freaks are, it's not it's not just that you are, you know, born like one of the pinheads or something like that, but like it can also be something that's done to you. Right. Because it's uh, it basically it means that you 
the community is defined by its otherness. So uh, I, I think that that's um, that it can be like inflicted on someone else, um, and in a way that's like it's not it's hard to understand like it's hard to understand how it happens at the like what like exactly is done at the end i i think is like really disturbing in a way that lingers and i mean this whole this film is definitely haunting on many levels and it's it's pretty fantastic so it is freaks available for rent on amazon itunes voodoo and youtube and available on archive.org all right that's a great pick uh, my last pick is a more, much more recent movie from 2009. It's called Splice, directed by Vincenzo Natale, and it's available for rental on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, and YouTube. And this is one of my favorite underrated genre films of the last couple years. I, I remember this movie, you know, it did not make a ton of money. And I, I seem to remember it getting a really horrible, like, cinema score, which is, you know, what the audience, like... Opening night audiences are asked to rate a movie on, like, a letter A to F scale. And generally, they're not the hardest critics. Regular audiences, usually. And most movies get, like, a B. Anything, like, below a B is really bad. Because audiences generally say A, A minus, B plus. Like, anything below that, you're in trouble. Splice got a D or something like that. (laughs) It might have even gotten an F. I think it was a D. And I don't get – I didn't get that at all because it's such an interesting and disturbing – horror movie and i i think you might have mentioned earlier in one of our more general conversations allison about you know like the body horror the horror of like pregnancy and childbearing as as one potential aspect and that's really what this one is about it's about these two scientists played by adrian brody and sarah polly they're a couple and also they work together as scientists and they decide to like you know, it's it's kind of like Frankenstein or one of these mad scientist movies, just with a slightly more, you know, realistic, naturalistic bent. Uh, they decide to, like, inject their own DNA into what they're working on. They wind up with this, you know, like this creature that's sort of like half human, half whatever it is. And, and then they decide to, like, keep the child secret and, like, raise it almost like a kid. So you have sort of this mad scientist as parent metaphors, you know, like... They're raising it in a in a barn, and the and the creature, it's a weird, crazy looking thing with no hair and this funny face, and I, it has like hooves. Uh, but they have to teach it to like behave and like be well trained, and you know, so it's like it's almost like any other, it's almost like you know, problem child or something, but with you know, instead of like this little redheaded monster, it's a bald, evil, crazy creature with wings and stuff. Uh, not evil. Not evil. You're right. That's that's a that's a misstatement. It's uh, it's just different. Misunder- it's their, their child. It's, it's their, their child. little mutant child, right? And and the fact that it is that that sort of their child. There's all these sorts of kind of uh, metaphors about abortion as they're debating whether or not to get rid of it. And then I also kind of found it to be all, uh, kind of a, a a movie about filmmaking in a way because the movie's called Splice. Splice being a term for editing, and you know the scientists, the whole sort of sub subplot is about how they want to make what they want to make as scientists and the money people the people who are in charge of the company they work for refuse to let them they want them to do more mainstream stuff essentially stop doing these outrageous indie weird experiments and they really want to be able to make what they want and you look at that and you look at it as a movie splice uh, that's a independent movie that's made outside the studio system that that has all kinds of trouble finding mainstream acceptance and you can see it sort of as a as a metaphor for filmmaking as well. Here he comes. Careful. All clear. 
That's it. Heart rate stable. If we don't use human DNA now, someone else will. Regulators, politicians, they tear us to pieces. We're gonna go to jail for this. Human cloning is illegal. This won't be human. Not entirely. It's coming out. It's not due for months. Slippery. <laughs> what was that? A mistake. The ending of this movie is very disturbing. Yes. There's actually like there's like the ending and then the epilogue. The ending is disturbing. The epilogue is like even more disturbing. Yeah. And I do give it a certain amount of credit for, you know, sticking to that idea of being independent and different and not doing the mainstream thing and kind of, you know, the proof is in is in the pudding. You, you If you're going to have that as your theme of your movie, you better come up with an ending that's worthy of that kind of we want to do what we want to do kind of thing. And I give Splice a lot of credit uh, for for going there, so don't listen to the cinema score. <laughs> Ignore the D or the F or whatever it got. And if you're interested in seeing a genre movie, that's uh, you know it's got some interesting ideas going on there and some good performances too. Sarah Polly is really great in it. Adrian Brody is really good in it too. They ha- they have a they have great chemistry together. And the actress who uh, plays the monster, whose name is escaping me right now, is great as well. Uh, yeah, take a look at this movie. I, I feel like it deserves a wider audience, don't you, Allison? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. And it, like a lot of the films we've talked about in this, it does seem to surface a lot of kind of indirect themes about like parenting yeah. and about yeah like creation and science right and uh, like and it does so in this really complex way. Yeah, if you find the idea of creating new life a horrifying concept. And neither of us have children in this room. Let's just throw that out there. I think it resonates. I think this movie strikes a chord. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you're thinking about or, having a baby, it, it, this is not the movie to watch. Yes. But it definitely deals with fears also about like what the point when your child kind of goes beyond your control. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Problem child. I mean, that's yes. really it's what it is. So check it out. It's Splice. And is available now for rental on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, and YouTube. Um, and a few quick mentions yes, before we move please, on. Please. I, I did want to toss out that one of the other kind of classics that has some talk about like parenting body horror themes, Eraserhead, is available on Hulu Plus. Mm-hmm. Slither, a film we've mentioned before, which is kind of it's almost like an homage to Cronenberg, and uh, but with more comedy. Uh, is available on Netflix mm-hmm. and is is a lot of fun. And I did also want to mention that American Mary, which I have not seen yet, uh, but was uh, got some attention on the festival circuit, is available for rent on Amazon, Vudu, and YouTube. Uh, I mentioned it mainly because it's directed also by a pair of female siblings, the Soska sisters, and this is not a genre in which there are that many female directors hmm. in particular. So right. uh, it's interesting to kind of get that perspective. I'll mention two more for you or three more, I guess an American werewolf in London is on Netflix and that has a great transformation scene and very, very much plays up the body horror element of uh, the werewolf transformation. And then really one of the most notorious, uh, Body horror movies of recent years and the sequel, both available on Netflix, The Human Centipede right. and The Human Centipede 2. They're both available on Netflix. We haven't talked about them on this show. They certainly, I mean, if any movies <laughs> yes. recently are body horror. They are. They are. They I mean, they really, are. really are. <laughs> and the first one is kind of a more, serious is not the right word, but a little straight. <laughs> they play, it plays the premise a little more straight. 
Uh, the, the mad scientist in there is a little over the top and ridiculous, but generally they play it pretty straight. The second film is just so outrageous and over the top. And that movie got really terrible reviews also, like Splice. Yes. But again, I found that movie kind of interesting. And you have to sort of be willing to accept the incredibly disgusting really? human centipede oh, thing, so disgusting, which yeah. is like the idea that the, that these um, crazy people are sewing people together butt to mouth yes. in a human centipede, right? Uh, in the second movie, the idea is like this, this guy who's sort of mentally disabled in some way. He's not all there. He's like a fan of the original movie, and he decides to like, cr- like create his own version. And, and he's not a doctor. And he's not a doctor, right? The, the guy in the movie <laughs> is like a medical doctor who's crazy. This guy is just an insane, deranged fan. And I thought the depiction of, like, fan and fanboys... It's very flattering. It's not very flattering, <laughs> but I did find it kind of interesting. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I don't know if I would recommend the movie, but I think I, I, I did think the movie got a bad rap. I thought it was a lot more interesting than the than than maybe even than the first movie in some ways maybe a less successful movie but more interesting so human centipede and human centipede 2 if you're willing to uh to go there they're both available on netflix i think my body is starting to turn on me Arvid. i don't know how much longer i can do this it'll be fine there's an ebb and flow to this kind of work give it a month I feel like a completely different person. I already feel like a different person. I'm developing a crippled identity. I think you look great. Thanks. I don't understand how this isn't considered cannibalism. Well, these are just muscle cells. It all depends on whether the human being is found in its materials. Right now, the law tends towards something more religious. We'll see what happens when we go from growing celebrity cell steaks to growing complete celebrity bodies. I'm looking forward to it. All right, it's listener's choice review time, and this week Brandon Cronenberg's debut film, Antiviral, won handily over two other new streaming or VOD releases. Magic Magic with Michael Sarah came in third place with 25% of the vote. Brian De Palma's new film, Passion, came in second place with 27%, and Antiviral... Running away with it with almost half of the vote, 47%. So let's talk about Antiviral. It's the first film from director Brandon Cronenberg. And as you can tell from his name and from the movie, if you've seen it, he is the son of the great director David Cronenberg. And in the film, Caleb Landry Jones stars as Sid Marsh. He's a salesman for a company in this dystopian future that sells celebrities' germs to crazy fans and... The distribution of the germs is very carefully controlled to ensure safety, but demand for these products is such that there is a black market out there for, like, high-end and and very virulent bugs. And Sid works as a courier uh, for these black market dealers by injecting himself with samples of the celebrities' viruses. And it sounds like a perfect plan that could never, ever go wrong in any way. Right, Allison? Of course. Of course. Uh, Now, I already suggested that this film did remind me of something Brandon's father, David Cronenberg, might have made. It's a genre film with a strong allegorical bent. And, of course, it's very good looking. It's very stylish. And it's very disturbing. And it certainly is a film of body horror. And we can talk more about the similarities between David and Brandon Allison. But my first question is... In what ways is antiviral different than a David Cronenberg movie? That's interesting. I, I think in 
it didn't the first film that it reminded me of as much as you know the Cronenberg David Cronenberg comparisons are unavoidable and yes. apt was actually Sleeping Beauty a film that we've reviewed oh that's Sleeping Beauty yes <laughs> like Disney yeah Sleeping I know Beauty? no Sleeping Beauty a film okay that, yes um, that we reviewed what like a year ago it was so? a listener's choice review yes. yeah in that it's they're both built around a main character who's in this like kind of dystopic uh economy and is extremely isolated and deliberately kept very opaque yeah you know that and also has a kind of recklessness with their body mm. uh, that self-destructiveness or just kind of carelessness mm. that i think is really disturbing you know in sleeping beauty she kind of hired herself out for experiments and also for this job that basically involved passing out and allowing someone to do you know like sleep next to someone right and like would not know obviously like the, it's that surrender right mm -hmm. and in this case he injects himself with all of these just like makes himself the vehicle to smuggle out right these these germs He's a human test tube almost yes and uh, you know the f to use himself in that way and kind of not and especially the, the thing that sets the main plot in motion is not even knowing what he's infecting himself with right is uh there's something so kind of troubling about that very idea mm -hmm. right that like there's so little value you place on your own self and your own body and that's you know and i think that there's I mean, not that David Cronenberg isn't capable of doing kind of very chilly films as well, but I, there's a slight, there's a remoteness to this that I think seemed more to be, like, it seems more of an art film to me than necessarily David Cronenberg's do. Mm. You know, like, it's a little more cerebral and a little more removed. Is it is it too mean to say it's not quite as good either? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think, like, you know, it's his first film, yeah. uh, and there are a lot of promising things to it. But Absolutely. I, I think it definitely doesn't cohere, I, no. I don't think. No. And I think that it also, because of that level of remoteness, it's very difficult to, I mean, I don't need to relate to these characters, but it's very difficult to engage with them at all. To get invested. They are just, like, they are in a universe that seems so removed yeah. that it's hard to wrap your head around. Right. So I wanted to know from you how how kind of interesting and I, a metaphor did you find like it's treatment of celebrity. Did it work for you? It's yeah. like the kind of extreme ideas about celebrity. Well, that's really the whole thing, right? Is this idea of basically celebrity as a disease essentially. And I thought that concept is interesting. This idea that, that if we extrapolate the whole germ thing to say, well, it's celebrity is like this disease that is destroying society. I don't necessarily agree, but I think that's an interesting point to make. It's an interesting place to go. The problem is it's sort of like it's this allegory or this metaphor that has like an interesting idea to it. But, you know, like this kind of like satire, although I, I hesitate to call it satire because it's, it's not, not funny, funny in yeah. any way. But just this this idea of like satirizing celebrity culture to this like you take it to a logical extreme, but this is like an illogical extreme. Who would want to get? Who would want to get sick? Who right. would want to be? And they talk about you know they try to inject uh, the movie with these explanations how they could do this with people not getting sick that they they engineer the the bugs so that they're not contagious that so that you get sick but you're it's safe. First of all, that's a lot of like like a lot of explanation there's a lot of exposition about that and also it just seems 
it still seems really outrageous. Like, I mean, of all the things to want to be of a celebrity or to want to have of a celebrity, you know, I made the joke about uh, the cannibalism thing at the start. And like one of the extensions of this germ thing is this idea that people grow like cells of celebrities into like meat. meat. And then sell the meat for people to eat. Like there's butcher shops where instead of getting a steak or a filet mignon, you get a filet de Britney Spears or whatever the equivalent would be in this world. And again, sort of interesting, but really would society ever accept eating eating celebrity meat? And also like the meat itself looks so disgusting. Right. You know, like, it's not enough to make it, like, a good-looking steak. It's, like, white. It's, like, white, mealy, disgusting meat. And you go, well, like you said, it seems like – it seems to take place in this world that's so divorced from our own. And as we said earlier, one of the things that makes body horror so scary is that way we can feel – like you know, that it's, like, an internal fear. And it it brings us closer to the horror because we are able to project ourselves onto these creatures of this horror. I never for one second felt any sort of – you know, uh, you know, connection to this world. The scariest and most unsettling things in this movie are like shots of needles. They're just the most simple things. It's like instead of like a, a really fake shot of a prop needle and someone you know holding their arm off camera and injecting, like you see the needle going into skin. And if you're squeamish, it gives you a little like creepy crawly up your spine. And I found that a lot more disturbing than anything to have to do with the celebrity meat or the celebrity, whatever. Yeah. I did not find the whole idea of the shared infection. Very interesting or like very, it didn't like resonate with me. I think that the problem with the celebrity treatment in this is that maybe there are two conflicting impulses, which Mm. is the idea of being like, I want to be closer to this person by sharing the same like kind of, biological virus that you know this virus has gone through them so and then the idea which i do find more interesting the idea of the fact that we as much as celebrity is about worshiping people it's also about wanting to consume and destroy them yes you know that and i and i in that way i thought the meat was slightly more interesting as much as it's disgusting like and also something that people are working on by the way i feel like i should mention the idea of growing meat and the idea of it as a replacement for, yeah, like growing meat in... Like, but not human meat. Well, You're you can s- grow any meat, right? So it's actually been raised as like an idea of like the, you know, the theoretical, the only meat that you could feel good about eating as, say, a vegan right. would be one, if you could grow steak out of yourself, right? Wow! Right? So yeah, and I think there's been artists who have tried to do this uh. as like a statement. So anyway, it's something that's like being worked on. I don't know right. if we're anywhere near it or if they can ever, like part of the thing is it's not appetizing because there's no muscle, right? It's it's just like a blob of organic material, whatever. Soil and green is people, guys. Soil, yeah. So um, you can grow it already in the shape of a chicken nugget. They don't even need to make it into a chicken nugget. It'll just grow it, that way. It's anyway, not a bad idea. I know, right? Um, so uh, I, I think that what I the part that I did kind of like about the celebrity treatment was the idea of had the kind of destructive side, right? Like whenever you see, yeah. whenever you see news coverage of celebrities, which is going on all the time in the background in this, like people mm. are watching like E or like all of that. It's about like the crazy, like problems usually having to do with their genitals that like all of these starlets seem to have, yeah. right? But it's all about like, they're all in the middle of meltdown. Meltdown. Yeah. Like we want destruction there. Yeah, right. I think that's like, a good point. And that when we do see the main celebrity, Hannah Geist, who is, uh, you know, the kind of focal point, she's the exclusive, she has an exclusive contract with the, the firm that's, uh, being worked that on. That Sid Marsh works. Yeah. That, 
she seems to have she has no agency at all right mm. like she is just being completely like sheltered in these places but also seems to have no control over her own life right right like is a kind of a passenger in her own life absolutely yeah and i mean there's i think there's a something interesting there but to like to me that was also the fact that that was like the side uh, the kind of the side of things as opposed to the main focus you know the main focus of it like the main idea of it i didn't really buy into yeah. I, th- I think it's a bunch of interesting ideas that are sort of stumbling around searching for a compelling movie and a compelling story and i think that's another thing that david cronenberg uh would have brought to this and i don't mean to make it all about you know he, he you father know father and son. and son but i just because you know there are some times where it really feels like an overt kind of homage to his father's work I mean, it starts off with this really interesting idea and this interesting world, but I never felt like it escalated anywhere. Whereas David Cronenberg's movies, you think about Videodrome and Scanners, they start from these crazy ideas and they just get crazier from there. And they really build to these insane crescendos that are really satisfying. This movie really felt to me like it was one note over and over again. You know, Sid, this character who, as you said, has... There's no character whatsoever, really. We don't know anything about him. We don't really know anything about any of the people in this right. world. And he also seems to deliberately have no life. Like, he right. lives by himself. He's this extremely pale guy in a very white apartment, you yep. know, and has no friends outside of, like, his work colleagues he doesn't get along with or doesn't, like, really communicate with. And yeah. his, you know, side business. He's, he lives in isolation. Right. And the movie is really just him, like, in this, this cycle of injecting himself, getting sick, getting healthy, getting sick again, stumbling around, being kidnapped, being kidnapped by somebody else, getting a little healthier, getting sicker again. Like, And we haven't really talked about the the look of the film. It is a gorgeous-looking movie. It is, yeah. And it actually looks really good on Netflix. Like, the HD print on Netflix is really vibrant and white, which plays so well off the germ quality that's very antiseptic look, I think speaks beautifully to the, to the world of the movie. But it really is it, – it did feel to me like I was watching something – just like it was just repeating itself over and over again. A new beautiful room with another interesting composition, but just not a lot going on in that frame to really hold my interest. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that there's very little to push the story forward. It almost – it introduces this world and then seems kind of uncertain uh, you know, to kind of how, how to get to its end. Yeah. And I think – the final image is not as shocking as it wants no. to be, you know, which is, I think is part of that problem is that I think you're right. Like a lot of the film, the most disturbing things in this film are not to do with that kind science of more grotesque fiction, imagery. But just the right. science The itself. science of it itself. Yeah. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, what was more disturbing to me is the idea of him, yeah, using himself as a carrier, as a bag, basically, right. than, than a lot of the things that the kind of more out there things that unfold towards the end yeah and even and when someone points out that he doesn't need to do this either right that he he could just there's other ways to steal it besides injecting himself right well that is right the kind of one question of his personality that is raised why why and it's also that like is he actually just is he as susceptible to this kind of crazy fandom as everyone else right and there is an answer suggested at the end but i just i didn't care about that you know that he there's not enough to him to actually matter whether or to the or to the celebrities either i mean the the whole celebrity thing is so remote it might have been well it's actually deliberately left so that you have no idea what they're famous for sure sure and i think that is by design too but again if you're trying to find a way into this world to understand it it's hard when when you don't understand anything about the celebrities you don't understand anything about the people 
how do you how do you find that in? I I had trouble finding it. Yeah. What did you think of Caleb Landry Jones? He's kind of almost a prop as much as he is a performer. Yeah, I, I've seen him in a couple of other things. I remember him being really good in a small role in The Last Exorcism. He definitely has sort of an interesting look. And the fact that he is so pale and so freckly, you know, he has a sickly quality to him physically. And I think that he's perfectly cast for this part in that way. He just doesn't, no offense to Caleb Landry Jones, he just doesn't look all that well. And I think no. maybe they play that up in the movie yeah. to make him look a little paler, a little more unhealthy. And he, he does have an interesting quality. when yeah. he's, he is so, very, he's very watchable in, given the character has so little to yeah. kind of to him. Yeah. But sulking around in like a nice scarf with a thermometer hanging out of his mouth is a nice image. Like it, again, it looks sharp. It's just, that was like to me if i was like talking to brandon Cronenberg, i would say you're obviously talented you're very smart you have some great ideas maybe get a co-screenwriter yeah who's a little more like into story and just kind of bring the awesome ideas and the great visuals to a, something a little a little bit more narrative e well i think that's why you know these feel uh or this film feels art house in a way that i don't mean isn't necessarily that positive a quality mm. like it feels like it kind of skips traditional narrative escalation not to its benefit yeah you know? so that's antiviral which is uh i think we both agree mixed bag but definitely shows a lot of promise it's from interesting i would say Brandon it's not Kroger. worth watching but it's yeah it's definitely a first film a promising one but a but a not entirely successful one yeah but you can find it on netflix now we come to our Behind the Eight Ball section, in which we give you three films that are new to streaming, two that are recommendations from our listeners, and one from our queue, or as it's now called... My List! My List. Yeah, Netflix got rid of the instant queue, they now call it My List, and there is a way to make it look like your queue, your old queue. You go into My List, and then you switch to Manual, look for where it says Sort by Manual, and that'll bring it back to basically your your Netflix right. queue. Though it is kind of interesting to see what Netflix, what order Netflix thinks you should use. Yeah, that I mean, can be it, an it interesting does, exercise. It does also surface more films that are going to expire soon. So mm-hmm. if you know, it'll t- tell you. So after taking coming. away the expiring information, they're now giving it back to us a little bit. Sort of, sort of. Sort of. Okay, but yeah, we're not re-adding expiring soon. But uh, you know, it's at least we know now. Okay. All right. So Matt, you're going first. I'm going first. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Three new films. Okay. First up, all my picks this time are on Netflix. The first one is Dread, the popular British sci-fi anti-hero, the cop in a dystopian future where he's also judge, jury, and executioner. He finally gets a dark and grimy movie worthy of the 70s exploitation and vigilante movies that inspired the character in the first place. Sorry, Sylvester Stallone, your Judge Dredd was terrible. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, Carl Urban, Allison's uh, boyfriend, even though he doesn't know it. Uh, Thank you, Carl Urban, because your Judge Dredd was really good. He plays the title role. He gives a very solid performance, at least from the lower third of his face that we can see beneath Judge Dredd's helmet. Oh, wait, do we never see his full face? You never so see his face. So we don't know face. if he has a silly haircut in this one. That's a good oh, question. That's terrible. We'll have to find out in the sequel, which hopefully they'll make someday. Uh, the whole thing is, it's people have drawn comparisons very accurately to the Raid Redemption. It's all set in this one like high-rise tower, and Dredd and his new partner have to fight their way up to the top, where this uh, crime boss is kind of ensconced in the penthouse. It's also got this whole subplot about this new drug called slow-mo you take it and it makes the world seem like it's in slow motion which is really just a great excuse for slow-mo action (laughs) scenes which are shot so awesomely by director pete travis it's a very solid action movie i really recommend it that's dread on netflix 
And speaking of solid action, I'm also a big fan of The Rundown, which was the first big success, at least creatively speaking, from director Peter Berg and star Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He plays a bounty hunter. He's searching for Sean William Scott in the jungles of Brazil, while Christopher Walken, who's the kingpin of the local town, he's looking for valuable objects that Sean William Scott has in his possession. Uh, It's got excellent action scenes, fun buddy chemistry with The Rock and Sean William Scott. Plus Christopher Walken at one of his most Walken-esque performances, an underrated action movie. This one began, Allison, I don't remember if you remember this movie. It began with Arnold Schwarzenegger metaphorically or symbolically handing off the torch to The Rock, saying something like, have a good time or something like that. (laughs) And you know what? The movie, I think, actually earns the little nod. It's a really fun kind of throwback movie. That's The Rundown on Netflix. And finally, just in case you're not in the mood for action this week, I'll throw in a plug for Greenberg. From director Noah Baumbach, Ben Stiller stars as the title character who's house-sitting for his brother while the brother's family is away on vacation. He strikes up a relationship with the brother's assistant, played by Greta Gerwig, who is now in Noah Baumbach's follow-up film, Francis Ha. And this is a really great character study, like so many of Baumbach's movies. It's about a displaced, lost soul trying to find his or her way in the world. Stiller and Gerwig are great together. The screenplay has, you know, the usual low-key Baumbach humor. Great supporting performances from Reese uh, Iffens and Mark uh, Duplass. I like Greenberg a lot. I hope you, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's Greenberg. It's on Netflix. Okay. Two listener recommendations. Okay. First up, here's one from Cole in Denton, Texas. He says, I've been looking for the 2007 Romanian film four months, three weeks, and two days for some time, and to my surprise, found it available streaming on Netflix. So the stage was set, and I waited for an occasion where I could really sink my teeth into the movie, as I had heard it requires utmost attention. It does. Uh, Not because it has an intricate plot or it's hard to follow, but because it has intense moments uh, and interactions with the characters. It's a quiet and very intimate film with a slow burn, and director Christian Munju does a fantastic job of setting the stakes so high for a story so small. For that and many more reasons, I feel I must share this film with other SVU listeners. So that's four months, three weeks, and two days available on Netflix. And from Lauren from Parts Unknown, she says, I recently watched My Amityville Horror, a documentary which chronicles Daniel Lutz's personal experience living in the famously haunted house from the Amityville Horror. This is my Amityville Horror. So he lived in the famous haunted house with his family in the 70s when he was a young boy. She says it's a pretty fascinating perspective on the infamous story and provides a great deal more insight into the family and left me wondering how much was real and how much was the result of a severely dysfunctional stepfather-stepson relationship. It's available now on Netflix Instant. And that's kind of an interesting idea. I haven't seen this movie yet. I've heard about it. It's on my my list now. But just that idea that like a haunting doesn't have to be a house. Like a person can be haunted and not literally, but by the ghost of something that happened to them in their past. I think that's very interesting, and that kind of sells me on it. So I'm going to have to check it out. That's my Amityville Horror, available on Netflix. All right, and uh, one from your My List. My List. I think we're going to say it like that. I don't know why it (laughs) sounds good robotically, but it does. You gave me number 77, which is The Heir Apparent, colon, Largo Winch. And the description of this film on Netflix is, When a billionaire suddenly dies, his corporation passes to his free-spirited son, Largo who's languishing in a South African jail on phony charges, and now Largo must battle corrupt cops, corporate raiders, and his own ambivalence about his new wealth. And this is a big-screen adaptation of a popular Belgian comic book called Largo Winch, uh, but that's actually not why I picked it. The reason I put it on my, my list 
is because it stars Tomer Sisley, the star of Sleepless Night, the great French action film, which I loved so much last year. And after I saw it, I was like, what else has this guy been in? And this is one of the movies he's been in, and they just added to Netflix a little while ago, so I threw it on there. I haven't had a chance to see it, but I just wanted to see that guy who I thought had a, you know incredible charisma, a lot of action presence. I wanted to see what else he, he's done. So it's the heir apparent Largo Winch. I'm going to have to check it out. That's on my, my list on Netflix. Allison, are you ready for your picks? I am ready. All right. So start with three new releases. Okay. First up, I have Shopping, which is on Hulu. This is a 1994 film, which is the directorial debut of Paul W.S. Anderson, who has since gone on to make many a... Resident Evil. Yes. The Three Musketeers. Yes. Pompeii is his new movie. Are you excited about Pompeii? No, not at all. It's going to be fiery. (laughs) The passion will be almost as hot as a volcano. That's a really good tagline. You. Um, you know, he's uh, certainly a talented filmmaker. Who and I, there are some of his films that I like, but he's uh, one that certain friends of ours have also seized upon as like an underappreciated genius of pop cinema. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to make that call, but it's interesting to go. It, it, this is a good opportunity to look at his first film, which is not a big sprawling, you know, Hollywood movie. It was uh, a kind of low budget a British film uh, that stars a young Jude Law in his was like his first leading role, I think, and his later to be his wife, Sadie Frost. And it's set in this kind of dystopic future in which uh, teenagers basically spend all their time joyriding, stealing cars and uh, shopping with them by ramming them into storefronts and then going in and, you know, taking any, anything they want. It was interestingly a kind of very controversial film at the time in, uh, England, it was banned in some parts of the UK, uh, got a lot of trouble from the ratings board for violence and themes that I think would seem not at all controversial now. But mm. uh, it, you know, I think it was seen as just the kind of the attitudes and the nihilism were, were seen as kind of troubling, especially in young characters. They're supposed to be teenagers. So that's shopping. It is available on Hulu. New on Netflix is The Road, which is John Hillcoat's adaptation of Cormac McCarthy's apocalyptic but lyrical novel about a man and his son traveling around in the really grim ends of the world, uh, starring Viggo Mortensen, Charlize Theron as well. It's, uh, I, you know, I this book was probably one of the more acclaimed to come out recently. And I don't know if this is a it's a perfect adaptation, but it's certainly disturbingly it evokes uh, this world, the dying world, really well, and in its kind of minimalist treatment, with just mainly following these two characters. Um, I don't know if it's it's necessarily a story that was meant ever to be adapted, but I think Kelco does as good a job as you can mm-hmm. with this, and it, it definitely is one of the. It's one of the more well-done realizations of an apocalyptic, dying Earth. Mm-hmm. And finally, and I think this might be re-added to Netflix, but it is certainly back on there. It's Tony Monero, which is a 2008 Chilean film directed by Pablo Lorraine, who we've talked about his more recent film, No. no. Uh, this is yes we have yes we have um, this is a film about a like middle-aged Santiago man in 1978 who is obsessed with John Travolta's character in Saturday Night Fever and I 
don't want to go into maybe more detail than this, but let's just say it goes to much darker places than that description may suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lorraine is just a really talented filmmaker. And uh, this one is just it, it's such an unexpected, dark and very memorable film. So uh, if you have seen No, which is uh, lighter and also just kind of it's like more mainstream. Uh, this one is certainly worth a look as well. Uh, and that is on Netflix. All right. How about two listener recommendations? Okay. Our first one is from Sebastian N. He says, Hey, Allison and Matt, I want to recommend Chad Hartigan's This is Martin Bonner, which is streaming on Netflix and also available for rent on iTunes and other places. I loved Hartigan's first film, Luke and Brie are on a first date. So I was excited for this one. It didn't disappoint. Almost a week after watching it, I still think back on the movie. It's many small yet utterly cinematic moments. And most of all, the leading performances by Paul Einhorn and Richmond Arquette. And then our second one is from Colleen M., who recommends something that is available on Netflix and Amazon Prime streaming. It's Ombre, the 1967 movie based on the Elmer Leonard novel about a white man raised by Apaches who relates better to them than his quote-unquote own people. When the stagecoach he is traveling in with a group of others is robbed, the passengers who had shunned him end up relying on him for survival. It's a really well-done movie of the revisionist Western era in the 1960s. Paul Newman as an Apache sounds terrible at first, but thanks to the backstory, it works. I had never heard of the movie before I'd read the book, having discovered Leonard's thrillers. I had been reading his old Westerns and went looking to see if a movie had been made of it. It's a tight, well-written novel, and the movie works just as well. Excellent acting, good suspense, and the Western settings are gorgeous. A movie that deserves to be better known. Of course, Elmer Leonard recently passed away, yeah. so uh, it seems all the more appropriate Absolutely. to take a look at this one. Okay, and how about one random film from your My List? Uh, you gave me number 40, and that is Johnny Swade, the 1991 indie directed by Tom DeCillo, who uh, directed Living in Oblivion, which I think I've talked about before on this podcast. I have not seen this one. It stars Brad Pitt, also mm. in one of his very early roles, as a pompadoured young man who just wants to be like Ricky Nelson, like so many young men of the 1990s. <laughs> uh, and then he finally finds the black suede shoes that he needs to complete his look. Mm. Uh, also stars Catherine Keener, uh, who's in Living in Oblivion as wow. well, and Nick Cave. So, you know, an interesting uh, relic of this the very early 90s indie scene, one I've been meaning to see for a while, and it's just been hanging around there on my queue until it became my list. My list. Okay. Well, let's get to our listener's choice options for our next episode. Our first one is one of those uh, listener recommendations. Uh, we decided to throw it in as, as an option. This is Martin Bonner. It's available now on Netflix and also on uh, iTunes as well. And you were saying you think it might even be still playing in a few theaters somewhere? I think it is. It got a very recent small theatrical release. Okay. So the turnaround was surprising and you know very welcome. So me. you've got some options. You can investigate the best way to see it for you. The plot description from Netflix says, Eschewing his old East Coast life, Martin Bonner moves to Nevada and goes to work for a program that prepares prisoners for life on the outside. But when he meets... Ex-convict Travis Holloway, they forge a bond that surprises them both. And this movie has gotten fabulous reviews. It, I mean, we're talking about it at the end of August. It played at Sundance this year, got great reviews. Uh, here's a Michael Phillips, frequent film spotting original recipe contributor on the film. He says, this is Martin, Martin Bonner, explores what it means to be a good person at a crossroads and whom you might find there. In outline form, especially given its premiere at the Sundance Film Festival, writer-director Chad Hardigan's second feature courts comparisons to all sorts of Sundance titles trading in a similar vein of low-key naturalism. 
this is one of the very good ones. And I've heard personally from friends that this movie is really great and you need to check it out. So I think that's a perfect reason to make it our first listener's choice option. This is Martin Bonner, available on Netflix, iTunes, and maybe in a theatrical release in some places. That's option one. Allison, what's option two? Option two is another new film. We've got a, we've got an array of new films this time. Yeah, it's, just uh, like last time. We're keeping that going. There's a lot available. we got to see these movies. Yeah, so uh, this is Kiss of the Damned, which is streaming on Netflix, new to Netflix. It is a recent film from Zan Cassavetes, who you may remember from, well, obviously, the Cassavetes family royalty in the film world, but also Z Channel, A Magnificent Obsession, which is a very well-received documentary about this uh, channel that was in the LA area that showed a lot of movies. It's very influential to a lot of people growing up then. And it is a vampire movie uh, starring Josephine de la Baume, uh, Roxanne Mesquita, and Milo Ventimiglia. And it's about a vampire who falls in love with a human screenwriter. And then uh, when her sister comes to visit, it throws her romance into some kind of danger. So uh, I've heard a lot about this film uh, being compared to kind of 60s horror movies and uh, just kind of playing into this very kind of retro stylish uh, throwback feel. So uh, that sounds interesting to me. And Cassavetes is a talented filmmaker and a cinephile. So the idea of someone exploring... That imagery, I think, sounds promising to me. And uh, the cast is is interesting. So it's one I certainly wouldn't mind talking about. And we can, I don't know, talk about Twilight or something as well as part of of this conversation. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait. Yes. So that's Kiss of the Damned. It is on Netflix. All right. And finally, uh, a pick available on iTunes and will be available on VOD starting on September 3rd. The Lords of Salem, which is the new film from director Rob Zombie. It's also produced by Jason Blum, who we were talking about off-air as a really becoming a very a big name in horror movies as a producer. He's produced all these great recent horror movies, including Insidious, Sinister. He produced The Bay. He also produced The Purge, which was a big hit this summer, a surprise hit. Uh, and this is the new Rob Zombie movie. It stars Zombie's wife, Sherry Moon Zombie. She plays a troubled female disc jockey in Salem, Massachusetts, who, whose life becomes entangled with a coven of ancient witches, loosely based on your life story, as I understand. Is uh, that right, Alison? It's Allison? eerie. It's eerie how close it is. How? What are you going to do with your option money from the Lords of Salem? Uh, I'm going to spend that $10 on a sandwich. <laughs> Um, this movie did not get as great reviews as this is Martin Bonner. A little more mixed to negative, but it had some, it had some defenders. Had some very passionate fans uh, who who really liked this movie, and, and, and that kind of in a way that reminded me of Splice, where the movie was not all that well-received, but I thought was actually a pretty great movie. And I, I haven't loved all of Rob Zombie's movies, but the ones he's made that I liked, I like a lot, like The Devil's Rejects. and So he, he's a talented guy, I think, and uh, I am curious to see this. So this, we felt, also would make a good option. So that is option number three, The Lords of Salem, available on iTunes and on VOD starting on September 3rd. So which movies should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to svu at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, September 2nd at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at filmspottingsvu, and you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on Tuesday, September 10th, or around then.
Film Spotting SVU is also where you can find our show archive and a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal, and you can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And of course, you can also follow the show at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. And remember, keep sending your listener recommendations to SVU at FilmSpottingSVU.com so we can share them behind the eight ball. And for Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.